0: Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.
1: This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eye's Margaret Farrow Studio.
0: This week on Rewind, your week in review, a top Republican says they are nearing a deal on UW pay raises and a new engineering building. Plus, a Republican district attorney says he will appeal a judge's ruling that makes abortions legal again in Wisconsin. And Governor Evers signs dozens of bills into law, including the Brewers Stadium bill. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for December 8th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannon.
1: And I'm JR Ross.
0: Jared, this morning we start with breaking news mm-hmm. that we have now learned that Assembly Speaker Robin Voss has a reached a deal with UW System President Jay Rothman over the ongoing fight over DEI positions, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have the breakdown of the deal. Let's first start with what Voss would get in this uh, proposed deal. He would get freezing the number of DEI positions, including those that are currently vacant, through December 31st in the year of 2026. They would also get a cap on overall positions in the system. He would also pledge to follow the US Supreme Court ruling barring the use of race and admissions among other things. He would also get a victory in a bill that was proposed by Republicans uh, that would guarantee admissions to Wisconsin students who finish in the top 10 percent of their high school classes. Now, for the Madison campus, that benchmark would be at the top 5 percent. Here's what the... Uh, UW universities of Wisconsin would get in this deal. They would of course approve those pay raises that have been held for about uh, over 35,000 employees right now. The joint finance committee would also pledge to release the $32 million that they have cut in the last state budget. So they would release those funds and funding for a new engineering building on the Madison campus would get approved as well and uh, millions more in building projects. So JR, this is like, just like we mentioned, we're just mm-hmm. weaning through a lot of these details. These are the many highlights, but it seems like there's a deal now. But whether all these pieces come together and everything goes smoothly, we'll see where this Mm -hmm.
1: goes from here. So first start with what the university has to give up essentially. The board is gonna meet Saturday morning to approve a resolution that would put in place these policies. The DEI piece is probably the one that got the most attention so far. What they're doing is taking these jobs and freezing them for three years, but then a third of those positions, about 43 jobs, would be reassigned or lost through attrition and no longer be on the DEI banner. Now, university argues that's not going away, that they're still going to be doing things. They'd be reassigned to student success and those kinds of things. This is a big thing that Robin Voss pushed for. Remember, earlier this year he said, no pay raises for UW, not another nickel for UW until DEI is gone, or they give lawmakers position authority. It means final say over how many jobs you have. There's a cap in here about how many jobs the system can have going forward. Uh, through the end of 2026. There's some flexibility there, though. So for example, if one campus is growing, the one is not, you can move positions around and still within that cap, that's possible. Also, lots of positions exempted from it. But there are numerous other diversity-related provisions. For example, um, there would be a removing of diversity statements from admission uh, policies going forward. There's a thing called the Target of Opportunity Program at Madison, which recruits minority Diverse faculty to come on campus, they would end that program. Lots of little things that are causing lots of angst. The let's say the Black Caucus on Thursday before Founders came out, so they were appalled by these discussions. And what's happening is there's a lot of Democrats who feel and university advocates like, why are you giving this up? Why don't you wait for pressure to kind of keep bearing down on Voss to break on this and to give on these things like the pay raises or Devin Lemahieu, majority in the Senate, wants to do the pay raises, why not wait? The answer is, there isn't really much you can hope for with Robin Voss to get him out of the way. He he is locked in. We know Robin Voss very well. How many times has he given in on something when he wants something, right? Not much. (laughs) He'll outweigh anybody. I mean, look at expanding Medicaid. He's been locked in for a decade, has not given on expanding Medicaid. Two, some of these things, like this top program, the argument is, from some people I've talked to, is that and light the Supreme Court decision on race and admissions and other policies, that program wouldn't survive. So you're not really giving up on something you probably have to do away with anyway. So that's the stuff they have to give up. All right, now on the good side, for the UW at least, you're talking $800 million, um, pay raises approved for the month that's over by Joker, um, joint finance acting by the end of February. Those are all the big things. Now, the thing though is, of all the stuff in this package, the stuff UW gives up is almost all policy. It means the region's gonna approve it, be resolution, and that's done. The other things are funny, are all done through legislation. Right. You have to get through both houses of legislature. Um, Senate Republicans were briefed on this, I was told this week. I'm not sure where they're at because they weren't part of the Voss negotiations, necessarily, and and members like Steve Nass of Wilder, who is adamantly against any funding for UW, Anything. period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how do you get this through? That's the next thing. You have to get this stuff through. So, it's a delicate dance we're doing right here, but there's at least, a path forward for some things that you've been asking for.
0: And if it does get through, uh, like the Guaranteed Admissions Bill, which has been proposed in the past, there's been changes over time, where does the governor stand Mm -hmm. on this? Um, He made brief remarks about, he posted on Twitter, about, you know, glad this deal is done type of thing, but there's little kind of puzzle pieces, Mm -hmm. if we'll get the whole puzzle together in a sense. Um, And then you have the Joint Finance Committee that will likely approve, like he said, the pay raises, um, but it's not necessarily a done deal. We know the regents are meeting tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll take care of their aspect, but uh, there's still a lot of windows, I guess, open uh, that. We haven't heard to- from Robin
1: Voss. Like, and, as of starting to take this show, he yes. has not given us a we comment We know they have the deal,
0: that. we have the details. We yes. have <laughs> we have the resolution, um, but where does he feel about all yes. of this is, is what we'll look forward to. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, another uh, top political story this week, which is about abortion laws here in Wisconsin. On Tuesday, a uh, Dane County Judge uh, Diane Schlepper uh, reaffirmed her ruling from July uh, that the state's 1849 abortion ban applies to feticide, not consensual medical abortions. Now, this sparked Sheboygan County District Attorney Joel Ormanski in saying that he is going to appeal this ruling that makes abortions legal again here in Wisconsin. So this was another decision that once again prompted Planned Parents to come out and make an announcement saying we are going to reopen the Sheboygan uh, Planned Parenthood clinic as soon as possible. They also held a press conference outside Ermanski's office yesterday trying to put pressure on him and saying basically, hey, don't appeal. We kind of got this temporary victory. Now, we know the case is ultimately going to go to the state Supreme Court and let the justices weigh on this. But it still, once again, is this big issue that's not really going anywhere quite yet. They, if there is still an appeal, that means the timeline is moving again and again. And I spoke to Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemehue this week, as many did reporters, kind of our end of the year interviews. And I asked him specifically about this. He was glad to see that Ermansky is likely going to appeal. But he told me that he still wants ermansky to enforce this but unfortunately Ormanski said he's going to follow the court order until pending appeal so let's just hear from both sides on this issue uh, speaking of Attorney General Josh call who filed the lawsuit he also praised this decision as well let's take a listen
1: we soon according to news reports we'll see Planned Parenthood fully reopen and so we have now gone a long way to restoring access to safe and legal abortion in Wisconsin what that means is that in this case freedom wins. Equality wins and women's health wins. Um, This is a momentous victory, um, but we also recognize that this is not the end of the road. This decision can be appealed. Uh, I expect that it likely will be, and so other courts will weigh in on this. Um, But for now, this is a major win for reproductive freedom in Wisconsin, and we are prepared to defend that victory and reproductive freedom as we move forward.
0: Do you want to see D.A. Armansky enforce the 1849
1: law? it's a law, yes. We're not a party to this lawsuit uh, currently, the legislature, um, but it is a law that's on the books. And the Dobbs decision said it's up to the states to decide uh, the, the
0: way abortion is handled in your state. So I'm not sure how these judges
1: dream up ways of, of striking down laws, even if they are 150 years old, um, but it is a law in the books. So,
0: we're still seeing a very big split on this issue, JR. Um, and, you know, going back on the Sheboygan clinic opening, that would then mean it's kind of the last of their clinics because we already knew Madison and Milwaukee have been open since September, which was following Schlepper's ruling uh, in July that they believe they can continue performing these while this case continues.
1: In essence, Wisconsin, we're back to Roe v. Wade days when it comes to abortion. Mm-hmm. So, once Sheboygan's open, there were three clinics open pre Dobbs, summer of 2022. That also means that the 20-week ban r- remains in effect. Other things like the waiting periods have been in there for years, those are still there. The questions to watch going forward are, where does Romansky go for his appeal? On the way state law works, he can pick any appeals court outside of the fourth district, which is where the circuit court heard the case. The go-to place for conservatives is the second district in Waukesha County. So good bet to go there, not Milwaukee, more liberal court. Second question is, Will Attorney General Josh Call asked the appellate court to buy, basically have a petition to bypass, to go to the Supreme Court, hey, we're getting to you guys eventually anyway, we think you should take this case and just skip that appellate court process. That's something to watch. And then two, Schlippert's decision all based on the idea that, in her opinion, the law doesn't apply to abortion, period. Call, don't forget, during the lawsuit had raised arguments that he believed changes to the state law since 1849 have superseded that law. He kept those arguments alive through the circuit court process. He can bring us back up on the appeals process and have that argument in case Slipper's reasoning fails the court. So that's something else to watch.
0: And it's all part of the strategy. Yes. All right, let's move on to uh, another topic, which is moving on to elections. There was a bill proposed this week by Senator Dan Coonodel, who is the chairman of the Senate Elections Committee and Shared Revenue, uh, a bill that would abolish the Wisconsin Elections Commission. Now. He did actually just tweak the bill, uh, a revision to it uh, today, and it would change the date uh, to a later date, which I'll get to. So what the bill would actually do, it would abolish WEC and transfer the duties to the Secretary of State and also give powers oversight to the GOP-controlled legislature. Now, this was set to begin whenever they would pass it, but he changed the date to when there is going to be another election in those offices because we even heard from uh, Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahieu saying, well, yeah, I don't like the bill and I definitely don't want the powers, he mm-hmm. said, heading over to Secretary of State Godlewski, who is a Democrat. Um, this bill is once again just bringing up the issue of, the I, I should say, it's the select 10 Republicans who are supportive of this. I haven't heard from Voss on it. The governor said. That he would veto if it reaches his desk. Lemihue is a no-go. So where it goes from here, but this is once again this group of uh, Republicans who want to do something uh, to fix WEC, to get, to get rid of it. But we've already heard from both Voss and Lemihue previously say they don't want to get rid of that, which is actually a commission that they created under former Governor Scott Walker.
1: Yeah. I've got a better chance of having a full head of hair from week's taping. This bill is becoming law. Let's be honest. I mean, between where Lemahue is at, Voss has expressed concerns before, the governor's not gonna Mm -hmm. sign it. There's a group of Republicans who just are really afraid that their base is not gonna turn out next fall because they don't have confidence in elections. Weck is the boogeyman for that segment of the base. So whatever they can do to try and assure that base are fighting the good fight against Weck might help them next fall with those voters.
0: Right, and the other fight that we are seeing is this impeachment resolution to Fire, impeach uh, Megan Wolf. Lemahue is saying, you know, impeachment once again is still a little cautious about doing that, but he wants her gone. I mean, there's a lot of Republicans that want to see someone else in that position. So while this is unlikely, do they then shift to that? They do trying to find other ways. It's still this big uh, ongoing battle and the fate over whether Megan Wolf will serve in that role come 2024. And we have that deadline approaching of mm-hmm. who's going to be seeing this uh, when we head into another contentious presidential year. All right. Uh, Staying on the topic of elections this week, we also learned that the uh, 10 Wisconsin Republicans that were uh, fake electors, they signed signatures for former President Donald Trump back in 2020, well, they reached a settlement in a civil lawsuit. And this is what they agreed to. They agreed that their actions were a part of an effort to overturn President Joe Biden's win right here in Wisconsin. And as part of this case, the Republican electors also agreed to not serve as presidential electors or take part of any process related to submitting electoral votes in the 2024 presidential election or in any presidential election where Trump is on the ballot. And we know about some of the I guess, more well-known names in these fake electors, you know, uh, Andrew Hitt, who was the then chairman of the Republican Party, uh, he said in a statement that he was quote-unquote tricked um, in this whole uh, scheme to sign this paperwork. We also know the Republican appointee to the WEC commission, Bob Spindel, was also a part of it. So they are now settled in this, but this case is still going to continue going forward with others involved.
1: So some news broke this morning from CNN reporting that uh, Chesborough, one of the attorneys for Donald Trump, is working with cooperating with the State Department of Justice in Wisconsin, AG Josh Call. Call's office has not returned a call so far. My text message is asking if this is the case. But with this settlement, remember, the people filed that were trying to get $2.4 million in damages from the 12 people. It's a 10 electors plus two attorneys. This shields them from that economic damages that they were seeking, uh, results in liability. They also agreed to work with anybody who is following up or investigating what happened in 2020. So what goes from here? Um, Hit in his statements that he's been working with the U.S. Department of Justice as it's been pursuing stuff. The question I have is, where is Josh Call going with this, if anywhere? Um, Are the electors, the ones who are saying we were duped essentially, are they a target? Or is it more the attorneys involved? Jim Troopas, Kenneth Chelsborough, those people, Rudy Giuliani, the other Trump orbit type folks. Because don't forget, the same day this announcement was made about the deal, Nevada announced charges against the electors out there. So you think about the contested states in the 2020. Pennsylvania basically said last fall, we're not doing anything with this. Michigan, they filed charges. Nevada has filed charges. Arizona and New Mexico have investigations ongoing. We're the only one where has been radio silence about yeah. law enforcement, what's going on. So uh, we're kind of dying to know what Josh Call is doing with this thing at this point.
0: And he's been repeatedly asked about this topic yes. and he's been not really given an ANSWER. So, we'll, WE'LL SEE IF WE CAN PIN HIM DOWN. Yeah. ALL RIGHT. Uh, NOW WE'RE GOING TO SHIFT OVER TO BASEBALL. AND THAT IS BECAUSE IT IS FINALLY OFFICIAL AFTER GOVERNOR TONY EVERS SIGNED THE MASSIVE FUNDING DEAL THAT WOULD MAINTAIN AND, and re- REPAIR AMFAM FIELD. Uh, NOW THIS MEANS, OF COURSE, THE TEAM WILL COMMIT THROUGH 2050 IN SIGNING A LEASE. OF COURSE, THE STADIUM BOARD STILL HAS TO FINALIZE THAT. BUT THIS IS KIND OF A, a HISTORIC uh, a EVENT that, WHICH BOTH PARTIES SAID DURING A PRESS CONFERENCE is WOULD SPEND $500 MILLION in public funding to fix a lot of things, boiler rooms, winterizing the stadium, um, uh, and many other things, in hopes to uh, boost some revenue uh, along the way for the city and county as well. Uh, let's take a listen from both sides and praising this effort.
1: Losing this team would have had a ripple effect uh, felt by families and communities across the state, even far beyond Milwaukee and southeast Wisconsin. So that's why, as governor, I've been committed to do everything in my power to help ensure that future generations of fans could grow up rooting for the home team just like I did. Today is the culmination of months of bipartisan conversations, collaboration, and hard work. We were finally able to come to a compromise that respects the interests of each party involved, safeguarding taxpayers, and keeps the Milwaukee Brewers here in Milwaukee through 2050.
0: So this comes after months of negotiations. I think many lawmakers that I talk to are just glad to get this over with. Um, But there's still kind of a lot of lingering questions going forward of, you know, will there be any tweaks to this deal down the road so taxpayers aren't on the hook? What about redevelopment around the stadium, like creating it like a title town or the Deer District? You know, reforming some of the parking lot space. I know myself and my colleague have tried to follow that pretty closely of what's going to happen. Those are kind of things to look to for the future, but for now, they can kind of say this is a done deal. We know the team's not going anywhere.
1: Yeah, so the first thing up, a new board has to be appointed. Uh, 13 members, six from the governor with two spots reserved for Milwaukee folks six from legislative leaders, one from the brewers, submitting a list of names to the governor. That board will then negotiate a new lease and non-relocation agreement. Then they get about $60 million or so right away Mm -hmm. to start the ball rolling, the winterization stuff. Then the annual payments begin, and away we go. So that's the big thing to watch immediately.
0: And next season when you do go to the game, probably one of the biggest things that you're going to see is that already there when they were at AmFam, there was no scoreboard. So they've taken down all those panels and it's going to be much, much bigger for the fan experience. So if you ever are bringing glasses to the game, maybe you don't have to, it's going to be pretty big. All right. Um, Staying on how many bills the governor has signed. He signed uh, over 51 uh, this entire week, and that does not include the Brewer Stadium bill. So we're just going to highlight some of the big ones here, Jr. The first one is alcohol regulation. We've talked about this uh, a lot. It would it would give breweries and wineries more freedoms. And when I'm talking about breweries, that means they can sell their own canned cocktails, seltzers, and beers made outside Wisconsin. If you love going to wineries, well, they can now stay open past 9 p.m. Now, the one uh, provision of this bill that was widely opposed by Wedding Barns, is that it would now require them to either get a liquor license if they are selling booze at events, or they would only be able to hold six events per year. So they were very upset about that. I I would say many rural wedding barns um, uh, that you know plan a lot of these events. Um, One caveat is this will not go into effect that provision until 2026. So if you are a bride and you booked somewhere at a wedding barn, don't panic just yet. Um, so this is going to be happening in the future. Uh, other election proposals, just going to name off a few that he signed because there was plenty that he vetoed as well. The new laws uh, would require clerks to retain video footage of election night proceedings for 22 months if they do have a broadcast. It would also change the deadline for when clerks need to send out some absentee ballots and require candidates found guilty of election fraud to dissolve their campaign and return leftover funds to donors. Um, some other bills he signed this week, Jared, just want to name off. It's called the Baby box law um, it would create um, it would allow individual it's kind of like expansion of the safe haven mm-hmm. law where if you are a parent in distress uh, want to drop off your newborn at a fire or police station they can now install these temperature controlled box that will trigger an alarm when you walk away for someone to take uh, to, to to retrieve that newborn um, also some uh, rec- another reckless driving bill it would uh, give a free driver's ed programs to low-income families they can apply for a grant uh, but there was also some vetoes. So we're gonna highlight those real quick. Some more election proposals that he vetoed would cap the cost of copies if you want to get a copy of the voter registration list in Wisconsin. Uh, another bill would limit who can claim indefinitely confined status. And another one that he rejected would require the DOT to identify non-citizens uh, on their voting, their voting status on ID cards. Um, another big one that he vetoed uh, was the transgender youth bill. It would ban uh, minors from receiving receiving gender transition treatment. So that was, these are, of course, not all of them, but some of the big
1: ones. There are no surprises in anything that he did. Yeah. He telegraphed pretty much everything before. Exactly,
0: all right, now let's get to stock picks, and rising this week is Diane Hasselbein, because after we taped the show on Friday, we got a new uh, Senate Minority Leader, and that goes to her.
1: Yeah, so in looking at the field, remember we had Diane from Middleton, Keller from Madison, Jeff Smith from Brunswick. The uh, feedback I got was that Tesla, I see, is more of a consensus candidate. Somebody's gonna work with all parties, work well with them, and occasionally work across the aisle. Uh, Smith's pitch was that he's from outstate, that there are new maps in 2024. For Democrats need somebody who can like, find those kind of candidates who can win those out, outside of Madison and Milwaukee districts. But he's not from the power base, which is Madison and Milwaukee for Democrats. Also, the donors happen to live. Kelda Roy's has a unique fundraising list because she's run for Congress, run for governor, but she's also, over those races, alienated some people. Um, hers, she's not really close with Governor Evers' office, let's put it that way. Uh, there's some tension there. Also, there's, something reminded me that there's a bill uh, back in October, uh, Advanced Nurse Practitioner Bill. Uh, Governor vetoed it last session. She's the only Democrat who voted for it, it was on the floor in October. And now granted, she may believe in that bill, but when you're talking about team unity on message, yeah. that's not helpful.
0: They remember those things. Especially
1: yeah. if there's gonna be a veto fight about that bill, so that would be a look. Hesselbein, so she's got that kind of approach. She's well-liked. Caucus, try. you, you can tell when she's on the floor debating stuff, she wants to get along. She's not a bomb thrower. Um, so she's gonna work with most people. If Devin Lemon, majority really in the Senate, needs maybe a Democratic vote to pass a bill sometime, you probably work with Diane Hesselbein maybe not as easily as she could have worked with, you know, Kilderoy. Like that would be a little tougher, right? Now for Hustleman, challenges are this, She's gotta raise money, recruit candidates, go into the job, you're basically on the edge of the 2024 cycle. We could have new maps any was minute just now. I gonna bring that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps that she was the assistant leader in the assembly for five years while she was in that chamber. Uh, but you know, she's got some growings to do. And the big question, every once in a while when you're the leader, you have to, especially the minority, throw a big haymaker, right? Yeah. Throw that punch, that pointed tweet, that uh, kind of sharp, Press release, sound of reputation. How will she be growing into that position? Part of the job.
0: There's also still that possibility that if the maps do change, you can come from a minority leader to a mm-hmm. majority leader, and that's I think was definitely something that I heard was kind of tossed around when it was up to these three candidates. Is who could we see as possibly being a majority leader to lead our party? Because it's one thing to be in a minority, but when you get the yeah. top position, it's a whole
1: nother thing. And Esbine told me this week that she will not run for county executive now she's in this position, so that's off the table for her.
0: Right, and that of course goes to the former uh, Senate Minority Leader, Melissa Agard, she's running for that office. All right, mixed this week, Bad River Band of Lake Superior Chippewa and the Lac
1: de Flambeau. So <laughs> Take it this over. has been percolating for a while. The tribes. Um, in the budget, there are tribal gaming money that goes to all 11 tribes, earmarked for all 11 tribes, 1 million bucks per tribe. In October, uh, no, I think it's October, the Joint Finance Committee withheld the million, $2 million from these two tribes. They don't even really say why. Last month we found out, they're basically saying, you guys have been bad actors about things, we're withholding this money because of that. And what happened was, up north, one of the tribes basically had blocked access to roads on tribal lands. There's been a dispute about that access and they've been charging local governments like access for access roads. The other tribe, um, there's a federal court decision that said basically, if you have tribal land, you sell it and you buy it back. Once you buy it back, you're not uh, basically subject to local property tax laws. The town of Sanborn lost 85% of its uh, tax base with that decision. And there's rifts there during this week they put this issue back on the joint finance calendar to take it up, but then said, we're not gonna act on it because we had Republicans send letters to the tribes saying, let's try and reach some deals in this stuff and get it done. I talked to Mary Felskowski uh, from Irma, a Republican, who has one of the tribes in her district, the one with the access issues. She basically said, there are a number of lawsuits right now about all this stuff going on. Once those suits are done, we'll get resolved then. Well, the courts <laughs> don't move real fast. This money's not going anywhere anytime soon. They still get the money, just maybe not anytime soon.
0: All right, and following this week is uh, governor's appointments.
1: Yeah, so we've talked before about like this dynamic where the Republicans are more aggressive with uh, appointments and shooting them down. In October, they shot down eight executive branch appointments. They shot down five in the previous 30-some years, before that, almost 40. So That was pretty much a big deal, right? Well, now this week in committee, a committee voted against Sonny Pope a former Democratic lawmaker from the assembly for the UW Clinic's authority board. Typically in the legislature, there is this kind of deference to past members. You know, you've, they know what you've been through. You've been here for a long time. You're experienced. They kind of have a little deference to you. They voted against her. Now, is Sandy a political person? Yes. She's a Democrat. She's yes. a partisan in the assembly. Yes, she was. But she also has had this experience and the governor appointed her to a body. They voted against her. Now, Barb Lawton, former lieutenant governor, the committee deadlocked on her appointment. Now, Mary Felskowski, uh, she's on the health committee. She voted for Lawton, but against Pope. And Lawton, when I talked to her, said, so look, I made a pitch to Felskowski about my experience. She's been on numerous boards. She has a lifelong commitment to public health. Like, she's like, I'm qualified for this position. It shows you the new bar we've set, not higher, but lower, <laughs> to reject appointments because these people are partisans. Okay, well, most appointees, a lot of appointees for big shots, are partisans. That's the way it works in this business. Also, Lemahieu, in one of his year-end interviews, said, if the new elections commissioner, appointed by the, uh, the county clerk, appointed to that body, if this person won't agree with appointing a new com- um, uh, administrator, replacing Megan Wolf, we may shoot that person down, too. Holding that process, again, over the head of, we want something that if you don't do it, we're gonna go after you guys for it. It's just a, another development in where we're at. This is not the way it used to work. It was much different years ago, but it's become a much more partisan, contentious, Process these days.
0: It's almost if you have a bad tweet or you say mm-hmm. something, even if you haven't run for office before and have the title of a DNR, yeah. uh, the, they're going to bring it up. Yes. Um, it's kind of almost nitpicky in, in a sense, but they have that ability. That is one of the strongest abilities that they have uh, over in the state
1: senate, and when it goes through committees as well. I, there are concerns yeah. about policy, especially with UB clinics about abortion policies and what's right. going on. Right, that's a
0: little bit more contentious. So, yeah. so,
1: but there's yeah, but it's definitely a new a new day in Wisconsin to comes to appointment
0: process. All right, well that will do it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Emily Phanum,
1: And I'm JR Ross.
0: We'll see you next week.
1: This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eye's Margaret Farrow Studio.
0: Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.